Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast live number 263, episode 263. And uh, hope you guys had a good week. My week has been good. It's a little this. <laughs> For those listening, uh, I just did a, I don't know what I did. <laughs> A wave. Anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for joining me today to talk about guitars and guitar-related things, and uh, and uh, also thank you to the uh, to the early comers, early risers that come in early and drop off some questions and subjects. So I have some of those to talk about as well, as, uh, and uh, we'll get into that as well. And uh, what else? What else we got? I think today because it's just been that kind of week. I do have water, of course, but today I'm going to be. Uh, drinking a beverage. This is my, by the way, I just want to share. This is my new uh, glasses that my wife got me, uh, beer glasses, um, and they're designed so you can not drop them. I'm not making that up. I guess I, I read somewhere that restaurants are switching to these or bars because when you get drunk, they're a little harder to let go of because of the little, little bulbous top. Look at that. So what are we going to do? I'm going to drink, uh, drink a beer that a, uh, that a viewer sent me. This is Rush beer. This is from the band Rush. They have their own beer. This is the Canadian Golden Ale. Now, I want to thank them for sending this because um, I couldn't get this. I couldn't find it for some reason. I'm sure it's as easy as just going to uh, like a more like high-end liquor store, but I, I didn't do that. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll be, I'll be drinking some of this today. And uh, why? Because we can. <laughs> Look at that. All right. I'm trying to, I never thought about it. I didn't bring a towel or anything, so if I spill, <laughs> look, there you go. All right, to everyone drinking anything but water or coffee, there you go. So Rush Beer, we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll mention what I think of it as we go through the show. We'll give it a good try. Um, <laughs> uh, Sean Brooks says, in Arizona, you're only allowed to drink ice, AZ iced tea. Yeah, <laughs> in Arizona, you just drink lots of water. Lots of water all the time. All right. Okay. So let's uh, let's get into some subjects. Let's just get into it. We have some early co- comments. I'll jump on some of those. But first, I want to thank one of the moderators. Uh, I'm not old. I'm vintage. Sent me a message after last week's show letting me know I missed a super chat. And that happens. And so uh, basically, uh, thank you again for that. I'm not old. I'm vintage. And it said, the question was, can you talk about how a reverse headstock sound more like sound more piano like on the low strings. Uh, you know, that is a theory that I obviously I don't disagree with or agree with. In other words, I don't have any skin in that getting that in that fight. Um, there's a theory that essentially when the headstock is reversed, the low string has a shorter distance than the high string. And uh, you know, uh, uh, so versus Wait, is that backwards? Am I backwards? No, no, no. I, I'm backwards. So the low string would have a longer distance from the nut to the tuning key than the high string, which would be normal, like on a Fender headstock. Um, there's a theory about that. The thing about that is I own both reverse headstocks and uh, standard headstocks and three-on-threes, and I don't really notice anything that I would say that is the determining factor. One of the things I always thought was really interesting was a lot of the players that talk about how, why a reverse headstock's important uh, play Floyd Roses where they lock the nut, <laughs> so so which is an interesting concept because now the string has got the same distance, but it's kind of locked. I, I don't really have an opinion. Like I said, I have both 
uh, reverse headstocks and standard headstocks, and I don't have a strong opinion about either. Um, I think if I did, I would definitely gravitate towards one or the other. Personally, me, I, I just always liked reverse headstocks. I always think they look cool. I think it's just because maybe, you know, Hendrix, um, uh, Nuno Bittencourt, of course, I have one of his. Um, maybe some of the players that, that played them I liked. But uh, there's nothing like I would never <laughs> – I would never seek out a reverse headstock, like Strat headstock, and go, oh, man, I'm going to have way more sustain or, or, or punch. Um, I do notice, though – here's what I've noticed. I have noticed, though, when they do that on a bridge – how much string distance from after the bridge to the body, I have noticed that has some effect. So I can imagine, that's why I said I don't have a strong feeling about it either way. I would imagine that there's got to be somewhat effect, some effect on the headstock as well too, but nothing that I've noticed. I don't, really can't speak to it. Nothing I've tested because I don't know what the test would help. <laughs> you know, let's say it was true. Reverse headstocks have, you know, uh, more punchy low strings like a piano, uh, what are you going to do? Just only buy reverse headstocks then? <laughs> so you're just stuck. So uh, there's certain things like that. I'm I'm just not versed in that way. All right. Thank you for grabbing that question from last week. The very first question I saw today, though, was from Adrian, who says, Hey, Phil, I love the show and hanging with everyone. Was wondering why I feel guilty about wanting to sell a guitar that doesn't get enough playtime and, and how to sway that guilt. Uh you know, it's funny. It's funny that we talk about this stuff on on the show. It comes up more often than I probably would have ever thought in a million years. I never thought doing these uh, QA type questions shows that this would be a predominant, like in the top ten categories of what we talk about. Almost like a therapy session about how you feel about the purchases you make and you know and keep and get rid of. And um, and I have to say, I, un- I relate because I'm riddled with guilt on all kinds of levels. You know, um, I, I think about that all the time, stuff I don't use. And I, I, know, I know some of you have to have it in a lot of ways because I think about this. I have that. So basically what I'm trying to say, Adrian, I have those same feelings. Like when I don't use something or I'm not getting use out of something, a, a guitar or an amp or a pedal, I find myself like in that same, you know, guilt feeling. Like I want to get rid of it because I'm not using it, but I don't want to get rid of it. And then I feel guilty for not getting rid of it. And uh, the reason I say I, I can relate is because I make a living. <laughs> like I said, uh, 19 years now, I've made a living in the music industry uh, working with guitars. This is really my livelihood. I shouldn't really have any guilt about being around it and using it. And I still do. So I can, I can imagine if you don't, you know, if you have other uh, expenses or other, you know, another job that's not related to this, and this is purely hobby, why this would get to you. What I will tell you is this, uh, Adrian, and the best advice I could give is the advice I try to take for myself on this particular subject. If I don't use something, I used to get rid of it. I used to always. What I've learned to do now is if I don't love something, I get rid of it. Um, what I found is use is is such an immediate term and the idea that I'm using it right now. If you're not using it right now, then you should get rid of it. The problem is, is right now is not your whole life and your whole life's a really long cycle. So although I might not use, uh, this, uh, metal amp behind me, you know, maybe my, like the Bogner, I'm not playing the Bogner chunka chunka stuff. Uh, I could go weeks and months and not play, you know, heavier, you know, heavier downtune C metal, And then I go, why do I even have that? I'm not using it. And then you get rid of it, not because you don't love it. You love it. You're just not using it. What I found is 
a year from now, two years from now, a week from now, I miss it. I want it. I buy it again. Way more money every time. Every time I get rid of something because I'm not using it, there is a little bit of a financial punishment coming in the future. So here's why. Here's what I stick to for myself. I sell gear when I have to. Physical space, it's just a physical thing. Money, that's a physical thing. I have no, you know what I mean? If I want to justify another expense, maybe I have something has to go. I understand that. And if I don't like it, then it goes. And that's actually a bigger subject and uh, really a big subject is not keeping stuff you don't like. I, I know you guys, a lot of you have to be guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. I have stuff that I wanted to like. I bought it. I still don't like it, but I love having it because it's something I always wanted. Let's say it's a guitar. I just don't love the way it feels. I don't love the plays. I don't like the way it sounds, but I always wanted one. So here it is. And I pick it up sparingly and I just don't love it, but I always wanted it. So that's sometimes I find myself just forcing myself uh, to keep it, even though, uh, you know, I don't love it. And I've kind of come, come to that conclusion then. If I don't love it, it's got to go. That's just the big the big answer. Or like I said, if you're broke, it's got to go. Or if you're out of space, it's got to go. But if you're not using it, if you're not using it and it's not financially hurting you, uh, keep it because it will financially hurt you later. All right. That's my first drink. Well, it's good. I like it. Uh, it uh, I, I have no idea what this is, but it uh, tastes like an IPA. Not as citrusy as an IPA. But it's like an IPA, and uh, I love it. Some of you, my beer connoisseur um, uh, viewers are going to probably tell me either I'm right or wrong, which is good. Uh, I'm not super into that beer that way. I'm into, like, I like to taste it and just enjoy it. Uh, this is 5.5% alcohol, though. So, But, yeah, definitely IPA kind of vibe to it. I like it, but it's subtle. It's not so – sometimes IPAs are, oh, you know, just like just like grapefruit. It's just kind of a – you know, it's in your vase. Um Okay. Ruben says, I don't want to get too much off the subject, so I'm going to try to float around it. But one of those questions, I just saw Ruben's and I want to grab it. Ruben says, Phil, can you share what you use to store pickups? I like those little jars uh, you showed. Yes. I will put a link when I timestamp this. They're not jars. What they are is you get them from Uline. Some of you guys may know Uline. Uh, Uline is a huge um, uh, supplier of like everything from office supplies to shipping supplies. And of course I ship a lot of things, obviously. So we have a Uline account, I believe. I'm assuming that's where my wife has an account with them. Um, because uh, anytime I need something from Uline, she gets it, you know, whether it's packing bubbles or, or the, uh, some of you guys know that it's called batting. Uh, uh, batting is the, is this padding stuff that we get, um, for some of the pickups and uh, for the packaging and stuff. And, um, one of the things they sell are these tubes, and the tubes have a, a cap. And the tubes that I get are, um, I think they're three inches, and they're six or six or eight inches tall. They're pretty tall. So then what I do is I, I cut them down. So I cut them size. So all the ones you see, and if you guys don't know what that question revolves to, in the last couple of videos I've showed you in the shop on the walls, I have uh, hundreds of pickups in these what look like jars, but they're tubes. And the reason I do that is because Arizona is very dusty and I just was, and also uh, when you store pickups, I need them spaced a certain space from each other because you don't want those magnets getting too close to each other. Those magnetic fields can cause damage to each other. You know, they can cause, they can cause all kinds of problems. So um, I don't want them next to each other 
So I essentially that helps me space them out. Plus, it looks cool. That's why I did it. But that's where I'm getting it from. And I will put links to where you get that stuff. They're pretty inexpensive. Um, but like I said, you will have to cut them down if you want them to look like how I have them. And I think they have one-inch ones. I think I use the one-inch or one-and-a-half-inch ones for single coils and three-inch ones for humbuckers. And if you look at the uh, if you look at the videos where I have those behind me, uh, you'll see that it, at first they probably all look uniform, but they're different sizes. There's a small one and a big one, a small one and a big one, depending on what pickup's in there. I don't really recommend storing a lot of pickups, <laughs> just so you guys know. I don't know why anyone would do that. I'm one of the few people I know. Are, I, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe you guys are all crazy like me. I have hundreds of pickups because I, I, I do research on pickups for a ton of reasons, not besides just you know winding my own pickups. There's all kinds of reasons why they're there. In fact, what's cool, if you're ever so inclined to look at those videos, what you'll see is not only some exotic pickups you've probably never seen anywhere, in those uh, tubes, but there's a lot of prototype pickups, even pickups that coming out in the September were sitting in some of those uh, tubes in the last footage I gave you. That's why I went real fast. I didn't want you to see all the new pickups coming out from uh, like three different companies. Okay. Uh, Milo's Digital Adventures wants to know what were my thoughts on the Black Star amps. I like that they light up, and you know the one thing I liked uh, and uh, is that they light up the headlights up and the cabinet lights up, and I think. I think Matchless used to do that. I know the Bad Cats, the, the heads light up and the combos light up, but the cabinets don't light up. So I thought that was a really cool little touch to make the cabinet light up. Um, I watched a little video of it, probably like you guys did, uh, that they're lighter. Uh, I thought, I told you guys, I have the same feeling you guys have, except for for some reason not as violent as a lot of you. I don't think a lot of you watching right now are as violent about this, but a lot of the viewers of the channel are. I had the $1,100 reaction. Like, I was like, oh, that looks cool. And then I was like, $1,100. I was like, $1,000 for a Black Star, you know, head. Um, I was a little shocked by that pricing. Um, that's definitely a lot more expensive than, you know, what you're used to seeing from Black Star. So I had a little reaction to that. But like I said, I don't want to confuse it with the reaction I see constantly on videos now where people, people have meltdowns constantly on the price of things. Look, I get it. I don't want to pay $5 gas, and I sure as hell don't want to pay $2,000 for a guitar, and I don't want to pay $1,000 for a head, and I don't want to pay all this stuff, but then I don't. <laughs> I don't have to have such a violent reaction to it. I just, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but sometimes when I read the comments, I'm like, calm down. <laughs> have some dip. It's all right. I promise. There's other things for you to purchase. You don't have to worry. If it's more than you want to spend, don't buy it. Trust me. Um, but lately I feel like, uh, not lately, this is actually has nothing to do. And I don't want anybody to put a comment, which you will anyways, that, oh, it's inflation fill and the market's changing. They were doing this. They were doing this two years ago, two, three years ago. The comments have always been, as soon as the price point is not super freaking cheap, everyone freaks out. So, like I said, I understand the reaction. I just don't understand the intensity of it so like i said i so that's my way of saying the black stars had that reaction to me i was like i was a little shocked they were like expensive however i don't know i try one maybe and if i try one i like it maybe it's worth the money me right now not trying one not knowing anything about it black star and a thousand dollars does not seem like something i'm interested in um although you know there's a lot of expensive amps behind me and um although they're a lot more expensive than the black star on average uh uh a lot of these, I didn't pay that much for them, you know, not, not, well, not much more than that. <laughs> Flippity-doo gets, uh, 
gets a gold star for recognizing the George Carlin comment. Have some dip. My favorite. I cannot hear anyone say calm down without immediately hearing have some dip. (laughs) Calm down. Have some dip. I'd like to tell the rest of that joke, but I'm not going to. All right, because I'll never do it as good as he did. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, we'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Yeah, I'm not old. I'm vintage. As Phil has so many magnets in his garage, the airplane instruments freak out when they fly over. There is a joke that no compass works by my house. <laughs> that is a joke. Um, but you know, the bigger joke than that was, I had a couple friends actually crack it. That's what made me uh, kind of laugh was when you have two or three different friends in a short period of time, crack the same joke. You, you know, you, you, you kind of you tell it's on people's minds. I had three different friends uh, come over. And after all, you know, all this stuff that was going on in the world, just a f- you know, a few months ago that started up in with Ukraine and stuff. And the first thing they said was, they're like, there's like a fortune in neodymium and, and, uh, and no nickel and cobalt, cobalt here. Basically their first focus was screw all these pickups. We need to get all these magnets and harvest them. And, uh, I always thought that was a funny joke because it's not funny, but you know what I mean? Funny odd, like that they went right to that is the, as the comment. Usually the joke is that, you know, comp- compasses don't work. Um, Okay, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I hope you guys don't mind. Um, uh, hi, Phil. This is Adrian. It's a different Adrian, though. But Adrian says, hey, Phil, I enjoyed the PRS video last night. That PRS video is I did the PRS S2 2408 video. Um, he says, but uh, last night. But was there actually any pink in the color? That's a great question. I want to get to that. It looked orange. Yep. Secondly, uh, will there ever be a KYG world tour? <laughs> no. <laughs> YouTubers are now touring. Yeah, of course YouTubers are touring. There's all kinds of stuff. I I, I, I actually officially decided I'm not going to the NAM. I, de- I made a decision not, that I'm not going to the NAM. Um, I'm going to be going to uh, 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 do some other things, but I decided not to do the NAM. Um, but back to your question, I wanted to answer that because that's a great question. So if you guys saw the PRS video I did this week, the S2, that color was Bonnie Pink Cherry Burst. So it's kind of like a pink stain, and then they cherry burst the sides and the back. It's all cherry. And um, what I, I, got, I say, uh, what I love about that is no matter how detailed I get in a video, there's always, just like anything in life, no matter how much you, if you do an art uh, no matter how much you do, it's never finished, right? The art is never finished. My videos are never finished, and I can I can edit on them and tweak on them, and that's why sometimes, like, when people say, well, well did you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I, I always think, I know, <laughs> but I, at some point, I got to stop and let the video go out, and um, in that video, that was a great question because I mentioned that it was Bonnie Pink Cherry Burst, but I never talked about 
how the color reacts or what it does. And that's a guitar, the Bonnie Peak Cherry Burst. What I will tell you is that guitar, if you notice when I was playing it, it pops, man. There's no coloring in my videos. There's no special lighting in front of me. My videos, when I make the videos, are just like the podcast right now. The colored lighting and anything interesting is behind me. In front of me is just plain lights, just on me. So that guitar popping was just because that pops. It's definitely a guitar that I think on stage would be the coolest guitar you've ever seen. Because like I said, it's a pinkish, orangish red, and it just glows. looks beautiful. Other than that, it's kind of like a... <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks a little pink. It looks a little salmon pink. It looks, you know, but it's a little red. So yeah. It's not a color that I think a lot of you would like. I asked them to send me that color because that was the one I was the most curious about. It was a new color, and um, that guitar was a special request from me to PRS, not the other way around. Um, when PRS sent the acoustic out and um, we had talked in January, I had mentioned to them, I said, hey, if I if I get a chance, if, the, if we get a chance to send one of the S2 um, 2408s out, one, out please. And <laughs> two, could we do it in the Bonnie Pink Cherry Burst? Because I'm really curious about that guitar. Um, but yeah, so like I said, that's an interesting thing. I'll probably start adding something like that in the videos too. Why not? Uh, adding a little, uh, probably in the my thoughts section, maybe I'll add a little bit more of my reaction to the color, to the to more, my, more of my reaction stuff. Okay. By the way, Brian S. Guitars is in the house, one of the moderators, and I have a Brian S. Guitars t-shirt on. Look at that. It's got a little plug. I can't. There it is. <laughs> There's the plug. Um, by the way, don't plug your guitar into the outlet, but that's a good idea. <laughs> good shirt, though. Thank you, Brian S. Guitars. Um, I think I saw... What did... Sean told me. I think he said he saw... And I... Uh, Geargasms is uh, thinking about sending out a shirt. Uh, if if uh, Geargasm watches the channel, there's uh, my address is on the Blackstock uh, Pickups website. If you just send the shirt just like this, I get the shirt. I told you guys this is how you do it. Send the shirt, and then um, if you can, if you send your own shirts, put a, let, a note in there so I can give it to Chana so she can ship you out a shirt So for the shirt swap. And if you don't, because maybe like Teespring, you ship the shirts or something third party, um, send an email to me after I get the shirt, because <laughs> because if you send it to me before, I won't be looking for it. But if you get it, the shirt, I just forward it right to her. It's just it's just it's just how I keep my you know prior. I gotta prioritize my days and my weeks. I, I'm a one man show here, you know, not just literally on videos, but one man doing all this stuff. So uh, things fall through the cracks constantly. I mean, no disrespect to anybody, but I mean, I can't. I try to pay attention as much as I can, but it gets a little just gets a little much some days. And some days I just turn off and I'm like, I'm done. I'm not <laughs> reading any more emails or responding to anything. So, um, so like I said, but I can tell you right now, if, if I get it in my wife's hands, she will get it to you and take care of you. So thank you, Brian, for the shirt. Like I said, support the shirt. Cool logo. Cool shirt. Thank you so much. And, uh, and I'll put a link to his channel in case you want to check it out, because I'm sure you do, because it's a good channel. Sean says, will you wear only, will you wear my OnlyFans shirt, Phil? I don't know what that means. <laughs> started reading it. And went, if you guys send me a shirt, I, I, I've said this before. I know a lot of you guys will send me emails and ask me about stuff. Look, just send me XL or 2XL. I like 2XL, but I can fit XL, depending on how much beer I've had. <laughs> but anyways, uh, 2XL shirt, if you send it to me, I will wear it on the show, and I will send you a shirt 
uh, or my, my lovely wife will send you a shirt to say thank you. Uh, and that's the shirt swap idea. And so it works really, really good. If you sent me a shirt and you've never received your shirt, please email me and just let me know. Uh, cause that's not my wife. I promise that's me not forwarding it to her. I did something, uh, wrong. <laughs> I didn't hand her something and make sure you guys get that. Like I said, the shirt swap thing is something I love doing. Sorry. Got like a little something on my shirt. There you go. Um, but, uh, like I said, uh, you know, just get it. Once you, if you get the shirt in my hands, I promise you I'll wear it and I'll, uh, I'll, uh, get your, get you a, repl- a shirt sent out to you as well. So yeah. Somebody says it's hard to joke with me. Did I miss a joke? Did I miss, did I miss, <laughs> if I missed a, a joke, I am uh, apologize. I apologize. All right. I got to stay focused. Brian says, shameless plug. It's not a shameless plug. I think this is cool, man. I really appreciate it. By the way, if you notice, I wear your shirts and when I do other videos too, I put them in rotation. Um, I don't want to wear my shirts all the time. <laughs> I think because you guys see me mostly in videos and I'm always wearing the merch, you know, you're like, oh, where's the merch everywhere? I w- don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, yeah, I try not to wear the merch anywhere because I wear it all the time. It's like work clothes for me at some point. So, all right. What do we have? We have another question. Uh, let me get to it. It says, um, there was a question that I, I grabbed. I grabbed a bunch, but there's one I wanted to hit because uh, it was a curiosity question and I kind of just wanted to talk about that. And I can't find it, and I do apologize. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to tell you what I think it said. I don't know why I can't find it, even though I copy-pasted it over here. Okay, so the... Oh, here it is. I found it. It was from Ken. Uh, Ken said, why did I sell most of my boss pedals after collecting them for years? Sure, um, I did. I sold off almost all my pedals, uh, and uh, probably 70. I'm just, you know general number 70% of my boss pedals maybe more and then definitely 70% of my pedals um why because I found myself I don't use pedals very often and like I said it's kind of dusty here in Arizona and what I found was the pedals sitting on the shelves for me it was like I was dusting them every few months (laughs) and then I was like okay so that's a at this point that's all I'm doing is dusting these pedals and they weren't seeing any rotation and I really had it in my head that I was going to collect them all. And I think if I did that, if I think if I got closer to collecting all the boss pedals, I think I would have kept them as an interesting collection to put away one day. But the reality was uh, I got to a point in the collection where all the, I want to say affordable ones, although I had a few of the cool, you know, expensive ones, affordable ones I had. And it was like every boss pedal I needed was 250 or 350, $450, $550. And when you're down to, I think I was, I think I had, uh, I think I had, like I said, 70, 80% of what boss makes, but when you're down to like 20 of the last 20 of boss pedals that they make, and they're all basically $400 a piece, it was just a lot of money. And I just, I didn't see it as happening. So I decided to let him go. Luckily for me, I have a friend who collects boss pedals as well. So I sold him the core of the best, you know, the best of the best of the collection. I sold it to him really good price because I said, Hey, just buy them all. And I did a, a a price most of you guys would would have loved, you know, like fifty dollars a piece, no matter which what they were, just buy them all. You know what I mean? And uh, he was super happy because I'm sure two or three of them were two three hundred bucks or two or more. And um, 
And that's why I did that. That's it. And again, space. Um, believe it or not, where the shelving uh, where I had the boss pedals had to go, uh, it's now cables. In fact, I don't know if I can show you because I don't want to knock something over. Uh, there, see? I have cable. Uh, cable shelving. Or, you know, so it holds on my cables. Because I have a lot of cables. <laughs> and I was sick of tripping over them. And I go, you know what? Screw that. So I took the pedal shelves down. And I put those uh, racks to hold all the, my tons of cables. Because I have mic cables and, of course, guitar cables and camera cables and power supplies and all that stuff. And I just wanted to sort it. And uh, that's why I did that for. So that's, that's why I did it. So there you go. Still love boss pedals, though. And I kept all the ones, my super, super favorite ones. I didn't even keep the ones that were... I think we're going to be valuable to go up in years, you know, more money. It wasn't a financial thing. It was literally just the ones I was attached to emotionally because I like them. Okay. All right. Uh, next question was an interesting one. Sure will be interesting. Super lead 100 says Phil McKnight. Hey, Phil. <laughs> says, do you make your black stock pickups in double cream, that's the question mark. There's a follow-up, and I won't hit that. It says, is it true that only DiMarzio can offer pickups in double cream? That is not true. Anyone can do double cream. They have to pay DiMarzio pickups because it's trademarked. It's a tra it's a licensing deal. For instance, if you guys ever see LIC Fender on the back of a guitar neck that has the Fender headstock, we've talked about this before, there's confusion that somehow it's Fender quality. It could be junk for all that matters, but they paid the royalty to Fender for the trademark on the headstock. Fender licenses the trademark. In other words, if you pay, you can put the headstock, the Fender headstock. Um, DiMarzio has a similar uh, trademark with double cream pickups. And there's always talk about this. I did a five things you don't know about DiMarzio, and that's where I talked about that. Um, but when you see like Kiesel have double cream, when you see companies have double cream pickups, they are paying, in most cases, they're paying a royalty uh, some kind of, you know, a royalty to DiMarzio pickups for use of the trademark. So to do double cream, I would have to figure out how to do that. I guess I could ask Larry. I'm sure he would tell me. Um, but um, but that's the uh, the reasoning. Now, more importantly, if you don't know the story of why he has a trademark on double cream, believe it or not, it, it had to do with the fact that when he started making his pickups, he was making them double cream because uh, he liked them. And at that time, Gibson was also making double cream, but they were putting chrome covers. And guitar players were pulling the covers off, and you know, and then all of a sudden you see double cream, and, and Larry liked that. So he, when he made the Super Distortions, he made them double cream. And when he made... I And again, I might be messing this up a little bit. I think when he said he made the Fat Strat and the Fat Telly, Strat, S-T-R-A-T, and the Fat Telly pickups, I think he got a cease and desist. This is 70s. He got a cease and desist from Fender, and at that time, Fender wasn't using Strat or Telly in the terminology. And he was like, well, it's just a fat Strat, you know, pick up fat, fat, fat Telly. But his attorney's like, well, they have a trademark so they can stop you. And when, when basically he heard that, he was like, well, okay. And the, the attorney was explaining like, yeah, if you trademark stuff, you can basically own it. So he decided, well, why don't I try and trademark double cream? Because it's part of the look of the pickups. A lot of people understand what I'm talking about. You have to be a little older uh, to understand that there was a time where every rock concert you went to, there was a, a Les Paul with double cream pickups, like Ace Freel or something, and they were the super distortions. Like, they were everywhere. So he was just trying to protect whatever he could, obviously, because he, he had gotten slapped on the wrist by somebody else. So he was, you know, this is the game you have to play. And uh, trademarks don't expire for the most part. 
for the most part. And, um, and so that's why that's why that trademark still exists. It's not like a copyright and, and a, and a, um, and a patent. It's a little different. So that's why their double creams are trademarked. Now, to be clear, zebras are not trademarked and a single cream pickup is not just, you have to have double cream and, and, um, that's why you do it. And if you guys don't, <laughs> you guys are so funny. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, that's how you do it. Um, what else? I have more questions, I'm sure. More subjects. Okay, this one came from Vintage Amp Guy who wanted to know, uh, what, are, what are the top guitar factories in the world, acoustic or electric? Uh, it's, it's, I'm not going to tell you. I don't know the top in the world. I haven't been to all of them. But I can tell you the, the best that I've seen, I've physically been to. Um, by far... Uh, when I think of the highest quality factories that I've seen, it's definitely Framus Warwick and it's definitely Music Man. Those two, in my opinion, are in a different world above everybody else. Then after that, I would probably go to PRS. I would say PRS. Um, Fender is, like I said, Fender's factory is not really impressive in what it does. It's impressive in how it works. Like, like I said, it's more of an assembly plant, less of a guitar manufacturing um, Gibson's was okay. The most impressive thing about Gibson is how they basically learned to dry lacquer by putting it on the, they put it on like a conveyor belt, like they have the delandry <laughs> and it just goes over the, over all, you know, over the ceiling and goes around. And that's actually really important because a lot of manufacturers don't, in my opinion, cure their lacquer long enough. They don't let it dry long enough. And it's because they don't have the space to do so. And so I think Gibson's really kind of mastered that. Um, the, I mean, there's a lot of great factories, but the ones that stick out in my, in my head the most are Framus and Music Man because both factories, and here's why I say that, because again, it's just an opinion, but that opinion is based on the fact that when you see how they do things, uh, most factories, when I get like an honest tour, because <laughs> you, you know, when you're lucky enough to get an honest tour, um, Factories are, by definition, a lot of it is by how cheap you can do something. Look, we learned if we do it this way, it's five minutes faster, which means it's cheaper. We looked if we do it this way, it's we don't have to redo this. So if we do this way, we don't have to do that. It's always like, how can you make this faster and cheaper, which faster is cheaper? How can you make it cheaper? It seems to be a focus of factories. Very rarely do factories, uh, when they talk about being better, a lot of times being better means being cheaper as well, too. And again, I'm not saying they don't care about both, but I mean, there seems to be a high focus on efficiency for the price of saving money. Um, Mr. Thomas is saying, how about Cort? Cortex is a massive factory that's crazy to see. And it's massive and it's, um, obviously it's, it's big, but the thing is, again, it's all efficiency and for the sake of cost cutting. Music Man in my opinion, and Framus, and, and again, it's not to take away from the PRS factory because that was an impressive one too, but the, those two specifically, everything was like improvement focused. Like how do you make something better? And uh, that was really impressive to see. And they have some ideas. Like I, 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 you'd be surprised. You think every guitar factory, or every company probably knows how the other guy's making their guitars generally, and they don't. Um, I've been to some of these factories. Um, uh, you know, like when you go to GNL, when you go to most of these factories, 
they tell you things. And I always make this joke that I kind of chuckle because they always say, you know, we're the only people who have this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've saw that in eight other places. I don't say that to them, but I've seen it. Most of the stuff that they show you, you've seen. It's almost like going to everybody's factories, like going to the same factory over and over again, except for, like I said, when you see something that how Music Man does it or how Framus does it, you go, okay, that's, that's different. And that is more expensive to run that way. And it's interesting that you took that, you know, you, it's the... And you can hear it in the terminology. It's more expensive to do it this way, but it's the right way to do it. And that's why we do it. Sometimes PRS talks like that. PRS is half and half for sure. Their factory is halfway focused on how to get it lowest, you know, get the price down. But it's also a little focused on improvement where those other two, like I said, are really focused on making like, this is how you do it right. And this is how you do it better. And if that means you make less, and if that means, you know, you can't do as many instruments, that's what it means. So that's just my opinions going to them. Like I said, I'd like to start going back, going to factories again now that people are traveling again. Um, I'd like to say my goal is to go to every factory. It's not, but I'd like to go. There's about a dozen more that I'd like to see. Okay. We have another subject, I'm sure. Um Okay, Kevin. Kevin says, I found a 1991 Ibanez RG570 in position one. The volume cuts in half. Every other position sounds great. It's not the pickup height. Yeah, I already know what it is. You have an issue. Something's either grounded out, something's grounded to that in the wiring, or there's something frayed, not connected uh, correctly. My guess is there's something grounding that pickup out that's dropping the volume down to nothing. There's something connected that shouldn't be connected or something touching that shouldn't be touching. Um... With that guitar, assuming it's 1991, so you don't know how many hands have been inside that thing now and how many modifications have been done to it or just, you know, repairs or what have you. Um, if it looks all original, um, one thing you might want to check is the potentiometer. Sometimes they, they get loose, the nut gets loose, and then they shift around in there and the three tabs, uh, which are, you know, your input, your, your basically where you're grounded off, your output and your center lug, um, it shifts around and sometimes it's touching something. That sometimes can happen. That should affect all of the pickups, but sometimes it just depends on how everything's touching. But that's my guess, is that you have something touching and it's just defeating and it's cutting that pickup's uh, volume down. That would be my guess. Uh, so I would look for that. Justin says, well, why did PRS suddenly ditch V12 and switch to Nitro? Why did PRS ditch the finish that was the most advanced finish of all time no i'm just giving jokes because i remember when prs apology smith guitars were like we have the best finishes ever and we created all the finishes um because as much as i love prs i always got to talk about the fact that um i think everyone eventually turns into making what everybody made 50 years ago <laughs> so um it's 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 i don't know if it's our fault is the guitar community or if it's the manufacturer's fault. I don't, I don't know who to assign the fault to. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but I kind of feel like everyone who innovates something interesting, they just go out of business. You don't see them anymore. They come up with something crazy. We, it doesn't take off. It doesn't last. It's gone. And everyone who basically decides to make some version of a Fender Strat or a Gibson Les Paul, they can stick around as long as Gibson and Fender stick around. And um, so obviously, uh, you know, PRS making strats now and making Les Paul's type guitars. And then, of course, going to uh, Nitro Cellulose Lacquer. 
uh, is just the evolution of like, hey, well, you know, if it works for Gibson and Fender, the biggest guitar companies in the world, I know Fender does less nitro than obviously Gibson. But what I will tell you is this, there is their official answer. If you go look, you can see their official answer is, I think Paul's out there somewhere saying, like, he, it sounds better because the finish is thinner and they put it on the guitar and it was thinner. Thinner uh, finish made the guitar better. Again, uh, like I said, the one thing I will tell you is my experience with Paul Smith is if he says it, I do believe he believes it. Uh, uh, so I don't think it's always marketing BS with him. I think he's for, he's he's at least drinking his own Kool Aid in my experience with him. Um, however, in my opinion, I think a main reason they went to nitro because there's no official answer, by the way, from them. So I can only give you a guess, like my best educated guess on uh, this. I think a lot of it had to do with the, the other finish. What was happening is, as you know, as the, sometimes they got fret sprout, the frets would push on the finish and you get those little white, uh, milky pockets and they would have to go back to the factory and they filled them with super glue and then pressed them in. That's how you fix that stuff. You glue the finish basically back onto the wood and that's if it didn't chip off. Uh, I have an S2 that's the old finish, and it, it did that. It chipped on the sides. I've never had a core do it to me, but I've seen a ton of them where they've done it for customers where the finishes have started flaking off. I've seen a PRS for a customer once. Uh, it wasn't my customer, but I've seen a customer, a person who bought one, theirs. I saw, like, the finishes start, like, literally, like, shedding, like, skin off of it. Um, I mean, so there's a lot involved, you know what I mean, in making sure that the finishes stick to the, to the, to the wood. It's not just as simple as spray it. Um, and so, so the nitro, I think they, this, I, th I think it's just easier for them to work with and put it on there and it's not acting up like their other finishes. And I think maybe, uh, their, 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 I don't want to say their heart cause that's not really the, the thing I'm saying. I think their mind was in the right place. I think they wanted to make something better than what existed. The V12, if you guys don't know, V12 was like this, finish that they really toted it was going to be like the, the the best finish ever because it had all the properties of like nitrous as lacquer but it was the you know it was it was good like polyurethane in other words it lasted and stuff um and um and uh you know they tried it and maybe it didn't work so they went to some people are like you guys are like milky yeah it's milky like you would see it it looked like it gets milky like a film because it's lifted off the finish there's there's nothing there's nothing in between the the wood and the actual hard finish. So that's why they did it. Um, my biggest concern was how they would feel. And I own now, uh, I, I own, I, I want to say three, definitely two, two PRSs with the nitro finish. And then the other P, uh, PRSs have the older finish. And I don't really notice much of a difference. I think I like the nitro feel a little bit more because it feels a little nicer, but I don't notice enough. Like I said, it's not a big deal. Uh, for me, I don't notice it. Um, what we won't know is that, you know, obviously, like I said, they'll, the nitro colors will change over time. So they'll have the same effect as like old Gibson stuff where um, I think I mentioned this. I have a blue PRS that has nitro and I'm like, I'm sure it'll green a little bit over time. And I'm sure that pink one will um, <laughs> something fell. I think the green, uh, the pink one will also like a yellow and become more of a peach, uh, like a salmon color, which is what I was kind of anticipating, what I was curious about. Um, Bradley says, hey, Phil. I've become really good at soldering and I wanted to dive into making custom wiring harnesses to make a little extra money. Good idea. Or am I just nuts? Also, how well do you think uh, they would sell? So when it comes to the harnesses, like uh, 920D Customs does that, I think the harness concept always appeals to people uh, because the electronics themselves are very cheap, you know, 
three potentiometers. Let's say you're going to wire up a, stra a strap pick guard. Three potentiometers and a five-way switch is not a very expensive amount of, you know, not expensive uh, uh, components. And, you know, when you see them go, they go for top dollar. The problem, though, is, one, you, ha you have to build a market because those guys are already in that market. Two, um, the other problem I have is that's a volume game again. You have to have volume. So you're going to find if you sell 20 you're going to be like, well, okay, I think I made 250 bucks and that's going to be, that's good, but it's not, you know, you have to do a lot of volume and, and to do volume, you have to tap into a market. Like I said, I've said this before. And I'll say it again. The most expensive thing besides R and D sometimes, but R and D, you know, even is not as expensive. The most expensive thing, um, and I'm trying to be accurate because I, I I'll say, okay, let's break it down. So I just don't say a blanket statement. The most expensive thing actually is probably your employee resources. After that, it's probably marketing. Marketing is a huge expense. I don't care how big or small you are, even with the internet, even with Instagram and access to, to doing that stuff. It's customer acquisition costs can get really expensive. So it's, it's the, it's the tough part. You know, like I said, you can make all this great stuff, but then you have to let people know you make it. And what happens is you can, now you can tap into the internet. And even if you get lucky on your own and you get a viral video and people buy a bunch of your harnesses, the problem is that will die down and then you have to do it again. <laughs> you have to constantly be in people's face. Um, it's why it's why manufacturers, if there's one thing you, you should pay attention to in this and in every industry, but this industry, because like I said, we just talk guitars, is there's a reason why every manufacturer keeps coming up with gear. Uh, new gear, new gear, new gear. It's because if you're not creating new gear, you're, you're dying. I mean, it's just the sad thing. Even if that new gear is just the old gear coming back, it's nostalgia. Uh, if you notice the, a lot of companies like Gibson, they tap into nostalgia all they can. Look, we, we brought back this old thing, you know, and, but it's constantly, you gotta be, you gotta be in the face of, of the guitar players, of the, of the customers. It's a tough thing. I'm not trying to discourage you. I just want you to understand what you have to, you have to deal with. Um, if you want to do it for fun and make a little side cash, do it, man. Enjoy. It's not a huge investment. It's a it's a very cheap barrier to entry. Obviously, you could probably go to any online facility and buy a couple hundred dollars worth of those components, wire them all up, you know, in your free time, sell them off, and and you'll come out ahead and you'll be fine. That I don't I don't I discourage at all. I think uh, you know essentially that's a reverb would become your Etsy when it comes to this stuff. You could put that on reverb and you'd be okay. But um, but making a living at it. It's, I just want you to be aware. It's not the actually how you wire up the stuff. It's just that stuff because it's so readily available everywhere. You have to beat the people who are marketing like crazy. Um, B R M R Bummer <laughs> says, thanks. I had, <laughs> I had the Charvel with the low E that wouldn't intonate. I did what you said, started over at 25 and a half and it's perfect. Life is, uh, Life is for learning. Yeah, I, I used to have, I, the reason I tell you guys that uh, that over and over again, like when I did that intonation video and I just said, get out your measuring tape, measure it to 25 and a half or whatever the scale of the guitar is, put it there. It, and then if you go you know, further back and you're like, well, it's going, it's getting sharper and sharper and now it's too sharp and there's no more room or it's, or it's you know, flatter and flatter and there's no more room. And I always say start from again. The reason I say that, and I, don't, I should be clear, maybe I should have put that in the video is, you know how many times somebody would try to intonate their guitar and bring it into the shop for me to work on it and they're like, yeah, I just can't intonate this. And they leave and I, I do exactly that. And then I, yep, it's intonated. And they come back and I go, it's done. And they go, how much is that? And you know, you know, you hate to go, oh, it's $75. Sometimes we do, like I said, a bench fee. I go, it's a bench fee. I think, I think the bench fee was 
fifteen dollars and then went to twenty five. But um, like, I don't have a bench fee anymore. So, um, but the bench fee was like you know twenty five bucks, and I always felt bad. Um, as you do sometimes, because <laughs> you're charging people, you know, because uh, you're it's your time. It's got to be worth something. But deep down, you're like, man, that was nothing. Just a couple little of this. So that's why I tell you guys, um, just go back, start, and do it over again. And it, most of the time, it'll find its spot. It's just weird how when you miss it, it's like your tuner goes crazy. Like I said, slow and steady wins the race when it comes to that so i'm glad brmr that it worked out for you man i I really really am glad like i said if i always think about this like if my videos like you know my videos whether they're review videos or how-to videos if they could save you some money from buying the wrong thing or save you from you know doing you know paying for repairs put money back in your pocket uh that's the coolest damn thing ever I, i don't want anything after that that's just the coolest thing ever um because that's not something I can tell you, to be honest. I, not something I intentionally, when I start out making YouTube videos, go, I'm going to save people money. But that's something that I, I must inherently must have been thinking about because it was something I cared about. So I would talk about that and, of course, show you guys stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I just I think that's the best thing you can do for somebody in this modern world on, on platforms like YouTube and, and Instagram and Facebook and stuff is share a little knowledge that might help somebody financially or time-wise I mean, I love it. And the reason I say that is because uh, I'm constantly saving money all the time on YouTube when it comes to like, you know, (laughs) I just recently had this happen to me. This is funny. Um, We, uh, what did we do? We had the landscapers do something and we were outside talking to landscapers and my wife and I noticed there was a bunch of spider webs around the house, little ones outside. And so my wife goes, oh, we're getting spider webs. Uh, Must be time to have the house sprayed. And so so she called the pesticide guy, and the last time they came out, I think it was $75 to spray the house. And she and they go, well, we've changed the rates. And she goes, okay, what is it? And she, they go, it's $205. <laughs> She's like, what? And she, they go, yeah, it's now it's $205. And um, I know what you're thinking. Like, I can spray the, the outside of the house myself. I did. But what was great was I went to Lowe's. I bought the uh, – because I go to Lowe's just so you know because Lowe's gives a military discount. So – those of you who are in the military, if you go to Lowe's.com, you can sign up and get 10% off everything. And uh, and I don't know if Home Depot is doing it again, but they stopped. So i just sharing that with you. But anyways, um, instead of just going to Lowe's and buying the spray thing and walking around my house spraying everything, uh, I thought, well, what, what, if, what if these people that I pay know what they're doing? <laughs> so I watched some videos on how to spray and what to look for. And uh, it actually worked out great. I know I'm getting off subject, but this is great because not only did I spray the perimeter of the house, I actually went and bought sealant and stuff in a, in a caulking gun because I learned like how I need to seal up. Like the old guy, the, the old pest guy wasn't even doing it right technically because one of the things that I watched on this video that these guys were showing that I thought was cool was like sealing in. Like where I live, we have scorpions and stuff and they like to live wherever they can. <laughs> you know, so sealing in little spots and stuff. Um, so yeah, so I just thought I'd share that, that. So that was a great experience. And the reason I share that is that's when I had a moment like I go, I wonder if that's how it feels when people like watch one of my videos and go, I just intonated this and I don't have to pay somebody 75 bucks. Um, I took my wife and kids to dinner with the money I saved on that, by the way. I was very, very cocky about it. And I mentioned it 17 times, maybe 117 times according to them during the dinner. I said, are you enjoying enjoying the dinner? And they said, yeah. And I go, it's because I earned it with the money I saved on the pesticide guy. (laughs) I was very obnoxious, by the way. Uh, 
Ben says Lowe's doesn't offer that discount in Canada. That sucks. Well, you know what? I don't think they did for a long time here. Um, uh, so you just kind of got to mention it to them. The, uh, I, in fact, I think the only reason they do it here is because Lowe's or because Home Depot used to, and then they stopped. I could be wrong, but I remember I used to get a discount at, Lo at Home Depot, and then they one day I went in and they go, I think it was only Active Party, which is fine, but you know it's like you know actually what I said was I, I go instead of taking away the ten percent for veterans, why don't you give veterans like five percent and just give Active ten percent? That seems more fair, right? It seems fair, and uh, instead of getting rid of it, but. <laughs> what's funny is look at i knew when i said scorpions you guys would go scorpions and make scorpion comments you know it's funny i actually have my scorpion flashlight here um if you, this is a black light you guys call these black lights here in arizona uh you can go <laughs> into the hardware store these are scorpion lights it's just a black light but this is how we find scorpions at night they glow if you don't know that it's absolutely true um so, you know, and uh, you can walk around and uh, not everywhere. I You don't see them very often where I live, but you do see them. And like I said, we had landscaping do a lot of a lot of work. And when landscapers come and mess with your house or your neighbors get landscaping here, it is very important that you do perimeter checks because they've disturbed everything and the scorpions will come out and they're little and they glow at night. And otherwise, you pretty much can't see them because they're so freaking small and they're somewhat dangerous. <laughs> don't talk to me says it's good for finding cat and dog pee you know i find that grosser than looking for scorpions <laughs> okay uh vim 69 says happy friday ordered a geeky stuff shirt when i when i see the new hats thanks for the great work um okay so i have the prototype uh, hat and uh, i loved it i signed off on it so she's making them now or having them made now very excited for those of those caught that there was a geeky shirt, the geeky shirt, uh, shirt. I only put it, I, what happened was that was a patron only shirt. And then well, it was one of the six patron only shirts. And then that she offered up and then I wanted one. So I ordered one and then I had it in the video and I thought when I was editing, I go, Oh, I should probably not just wear it in the video if I'm not going to make it available. So I think it's a, so, you know, I'm not for sure, but I think I'm just going to leave that limited for a little while. If you guys want the geeky stuff shirts. So if you're interested in it, you might want to get one. Cause I don't think I'm going to keep it long-term. Don't freak out. I don't mean like the next couple of days, but I don't think I'll see it in a month or two. Maybe maybe we'll do it for like a month. So, uh, in fact, I'll tell you what. Till till four more episodes from today, and then I'll take it offline. Uh, Chris says, "Hey Phil, thanks for all the Kiesel videos. I felt comfortable ordering uh, one from them after watching, uh, and they nailed my two builds. That's awesome. You know, like I said, I I really wanted to do that. I'm trying to do another one like that." I, I definitely want to thank John again for, for orchestrating that. Um, because again, um, a lot of times, and I think I've, uh, I've talked about this before, but a lot of times, uh, a lot of comments in the videos are like, yeah, but you're a YouTuber and they knew they were sending it to you. And I, I will, I'm telling you guys, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I seven out of 10 times, the companies don't care. The majority of what I deal with, if you watch my videos, is like, oh, there's a spot here, or this is this is what's wrong with the guitar. And it's not because they missed it. They didn't even look. Most companies don't care. They just, you know, you gotta understand, I don't deal, you don't deal with um most of the time I'm not even dealing with the company. I'm dealing with a marketing person who's subcontracted by that company. And 
it's as simple as that. They're like, get me 10 YouTubers. And they just go out and they go, what's your rate? And how, and what do you want? And, and if you're, and if you say, we call them box tickers because they're just ticking boxes all day. They go, okay, I got myself 12 YouTubers and this is the rates they all wanted, or this is the gear they wanted or whatever it is they want. And they send them out. And, um, and I can tell you right now with almost all the inexpensive companies like Ert, um, and those kind of inexpensive companies, all of them ship straight from Amazon to the YouTubers in most of the cases. In all of my cases, all of that stuff has come straight Amazon to me. So obviously they didn't have any effect on the guitar. I tell you all that to tell you that um, if I, the only companies that I've ever experienced where I was somewhat aware, in other words, they didn't say to me, this is what was happening, but I was somewhat aware of it, is Kiesel and Ibanez. Both Kiesel, Kiesel, both Kiesel and Ibanez, when I receive my guitars, um, well, first of all, I can, I, it's like, uh, like the white glove treatment. Like, I feel like they took an extra step to make sure it was right because it was an artist. And they, that's how they refer to YouTubers, uh, is artists. They don't treat us any different than if they were sending it to an artist. There was like, okay, somebody they're working with and like, let's send out a guitar. And, and, um, and so, you know, and when I order a Kiesel guitar, I think I've told you this and if not, I'm telling you right now, uh, Kiesel, uh, no matter what I do, if I was just to blindly order a guitar and they see my name, if I was to order a guitar right now with you guys online, I guarantee you on Monday when they, somebody sees my name, they'll flag it and send it to somebody like, like Brandon. And they'll reach out to me immediately and go, I feel I saw you order a guitar and they will go, okay, well, you know, we can expedite that for you. Cause you know, they know I'm going to make a video and they know that's going to benefit them. So why I say that is, although I understand the concern that the companies are rigging the game by sending out perfect guitars, I'm honestly telling you, most of them are definitely, if anything, they're, they're sending us B stocks. I get more B stock stuff than I've ever gotten anything else from most companies. I, some of you guys always go, what? I don't understand it. It's absolutely true. I can tell you right now, I get B stock stuff all the time. Um, so I don't really worry about that. That stuff doesn't concern me, but when it is something where I, like I said, I'm very aware of the fact that they did make sure it was right before it got to me. That's why on Kiesel, when John said, hey, it would really be cool if you could review a viewer's guitar and they didn't know it was going to you. And I was like, I love that idea. And, um, and so you know, <laughs> so far, so good. I was a little nervous um, uh, because I did clickbait the crap out of that title. Now, remember, when I say, that's actually not true too. So I don't know if you guys know this. I think I've told you before. I don't actually do the, the uh, thumbnails and the, and the titles anymore. I, I stopped doing that months ago. So I don't do that stuff anymore. However, I do kind of approve them if they're crazy. And the one was, was it, was it, uh, does Kiesel send rig guitars or something to YouTubers? And I was like, oh my God. And, <laughs> and he was like, that's the title I'm going to put on this video for you. And I'm like, all right. You know, cause I trust him. And, uh, cause he has gotten the views up from, from since he took over. And I was like, all right. But I go, oh, they're going to be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's so far so good. I don't, I don't think they're upset. And so, but it, the ultimately, like I said, what I think about is I work for the audience and, uh, that's where the money comes from. That's where the, the love comes from. That's where the 108, uh, well, sorry, 1,183 people come from hanging out this Friday. Um, so essentially how I figure is, uh, if the companies are unhappy and you're happy, they'll still come because they want access to you. Where if you're unhappy and the companies are happy, unhappy, Wait, you know what I mean? If you're unhappy and the companies are happy, you won't come and then the companies won't care because they really want access to you. Because let's be very clear. 
the one thing that I, the one, one thing I noticed is I, I had a Kiesel video once. I don't remember which one, but somebody put a comment that like Kiesel sends guitars to untalented Instagram uh, chicks. I remember the word chicks. And I didn't respond to it, but I reason I bring it up now is I remember laughing like out loud, chuckling, going, man, this guy doesn't understand. Like they're not sending it to a untalented chick. They're sending it to someone who has a big audience and that's because they want access to that audience. And uh, the reason I laughed was I was thinking, I hope that guy's like a, a carpenter or a cop or somebody who makes a living outside this industry, because if he's an artist, he's never going to do well. If he doesn't understand that no one's ever going to care <laughs> if he doesn't, if he doesn't make music or make some kind of entertainment that reaches some kind of audience, that's essentially the goal. It has to have some kind of reach. You have to have some kind of loyalty from your audience. Um, to have success. You don't have to have a big one. You just have to have that. You have to have an audience. So, um, so anyways, that's my whole way of saying thank you for telling me one that you had a good experience buying your guitars, but also thank you for confirming that it worked because I'll continue to do stuff like that. It's uh, it's really scary. I'm sure, I'm sure as you can imagine, I'm, uh, John's a great guy, but I'm sure he was biting his nails a little bit, you know, sending me a $4,000 guitar and waiting for it to come back. <laughs> It's back to him now, and he's happy, and I just want to let you know he's, everything's good, but I'm sure is he played it off perfectly. He never said anything, but in my head, I was like, if I was him, I'd be like, huh. <laughs> so I'm glad he did this for He gets the credit, in other words. He gets the credit. Um, Devin says, I bought a Sterling Cutlass new. Forward bow was so bad that it couldn't be fixed with a truss rod. Same thing with a used one. Uh I exchanged uh, for, it was frustrating. So interesting. I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's possible. I, I've told you guys, one thing that's tough right now is since the COVID, since the guitar boom slash, uh, you know, COVID problems, I have seen more problematic guitars than I've ever seen. Things are going to slip through the cracks. Um, that's why it's important, more important ever, ever that you, you're buying from trusted retailers. You're buying from trusted sellers, whether it's used or new. Um, because of that, a lot of you guys are, uh, I understand your, your issue, um, but there's going to, it's consistent. In other words, I, I can, I know this because I'll, I'll watch a video. I'll make a video just looking at my videos. I make a video and it's like PRS and somebody goes, I got a bad PRS and it sucks. I'm like, okay. And I make a Kiesel video. Like I got a bad Kiesel and it sucks. I'm like, okay. And then I make a, you know, a, a sire and they're like, I got a bad sire and it sucked. And I'm like, okay, well, I haven't seen a video where I haven't seen that. You know what I mean? Uh, you could say, well, you might see it more than others, but really I see it pretty consistent across the board. The only time I don't see a whole lot of comments like that is when the guitars are ex not only extremely expensive, but extremely rare because they're just not making a whole lot. So there's a lot of time that they can make sure it's right. And I don't mean expensive mass produced, heavy mass produced, like high end fenders and stuff. I'm talking about like literally, literally boutique instruments, but but, uh, yeah, so I'm not shocked to hear that, by the way. Um, I, I think overall the guitars are great. Uh, I, you know, you see it on the channel when I review stuff. I mean, everything from fret sprout to all kinds of issues. I've come across everything. Um, and I try to make it a point in all these videos now, always before too, to find something wrong just to give reference. You know what I mean? I don't make anything up, but I don't really get too like, kind of like picky because I don't want to be too, you know, over the top on it, but yeah. And so basically what I'm trying to say is I can find something every time. So if I can find something every time, then I'm sure you guys are going to find something as well. 
So uh, John says he's actually had good luck with Epiphone. See, and that's and here's what's great, John. I that's why I like doing multiple guitars over and over. I did two Epiphones in the last twelve months, and I had one had fret sprout really bad, and the other one was perfect. And that's why I like having videos where exactly like that. You know, it's does that mean what 50-50? No, doesn't mean anything. Just mean one came in a little and what good, and one came in a little not as good. It's just uh, it's really that's why I spend more time showing you guys what the fixes would be for it because sometimes you have to fix it but i think if you get a new guitar and it's not right you definitely should be able to return it and get something better chad says have you ever found prs s2 guitars to sound like a bit dark yeah well the pickups i think uh in the neck is a little dark and the bridge is a little bright um i purchased s2 and i love the fit and finish and i hated the pickups it's by design those pickups are gonna have that sound sure uh, so I replaced it with some Duncans, more dynamic, but still dark. Depends on what Duncans. You might have stuck the exact same pickups in there. Look, when it comes to pickups, this is a, a, a crazy area in which why I have so much pickups and have so much research. Here's what I've come to the conclusion on when it comes to pickups. It's the least thing we talk about. It's the least thing that people educate themselves. And it's the most important thing to your sound when it comes to what your guitar is doing, or your electric guitar. And what I can tell you is, and this is the best analogy I have for it. So many players are yanking out a pickup and replacing a pickup. And the, the, the analogy would be, it's like you're going, I hate this tube screamer. So you take your tube screamer off from Ibanez and you put on another tube screamer from another brand that's made the same way. And you go, ah, this one isn't much better. It must be my pedal board, <laughs> right? I'm not making fun of you by any means. I, I'm just, uh, I want you to understand the logic. So... That's why, if you notice, I'm talking about pickups more in the videos, talking about the anatomy of pickups, talking about the, the magnets on them, um, you know, talking about maybe some of the factors in there. Uh, I'm trying to find the right way to give that information. If you notice, I was like, let's talk about EQ curves. I was like, okay, well, maybe we'll talk about the, you know, um, the Henry's. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, what is it that we need to talk about that makes you understand? I, I don't think I'm there yet. I think we're getting there um, because it's, it's not so much a dumbed down thing or a make it techie thing. It's more of a, it's more of a, how do you understand the anatomy of a pickup and the concept of this is a type of pickup that produces this kind of tone. And this is the kind of pickup that produces a different kind of tone and brands are irrelevant because the brands, again, Seymour Duncan and DiMarzio and bare knuckle all make an identical pickup by spec, by design, they have one in, I mean, they have tons, but I'm telling you, I can take one of pickups from each one of those brands and I can guarantee you that by specifications, it's almost identical in the way it's designed. So if you go, okay, I'm not going to do Seymour Duncan, I'm going to do DiMarzio, you might be buying the same exact pickup. So you have to get away from what they're doing. My guess is with, with the, um, like, for instance, if I was going to suggest to you a pickup for your S2 would be the actual P. Thorn Thornbuckers. They're expensive. You don't have to buy them. You just have to find the pickups that are like them that are not as expensive. Uh, and I could probably tell you which one of those are if I go look. But the Thornbuckers are bright and shiny. And if the, the guitar is not forgiving, in other words, it's bright and shiny, it's going to be a very unpleasant sound with the Thornbuckers. But if you have a warmer guitar a warmer sound. It's resonating kind of warm. Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, that it's, that it's, 
like you said, the guitar feels, it sounds dark to you no matter what pickups you're putting into it. I would think those pickups would fix it because, again, they're going to be brighter. And, um, and I can tell you, a, again, it's a little piece of information sometimes can be helpful and hurtful at the same time. What I can tell you when it comes to pickups is think of single coils and how bright they are. And, and part of that is the field. In other words, how much spread they have because they're just one pickup. So obviously Humbucker has a bigger field in which, you know, a bigger area that it can, can it basically detect the string. I'm just going to say it like that. Um, and so obviously being narrower, uh, it might be brighter because where it's located. But a big part of a single coil's pickup and why it's so bright is because, again, it's not very powerful. And that's essentially what a low amount of winds of wire, lower amount of resistance will do for you, especially using like an Alnico 5 magnet, uh, which is a little more powerful magnet than, you know, another Alnico 2 or an Alnico 4. And, um, and here's why that's important. I can't guarantee this. I'm just going to tell you as a generic, if you follow this, you'll go down the right road. You can go to really lighter output humbuckers that are really light you know they have a lighter like like i said the humbuckers that have more of a single coil tone to them will be brighter and do what you want so now on the extreme if you go to really high output pickups like super distortions and x2ns and uh, invaders they will get bright again as well but they will have a more mid bright tone they will punch a little bit more where, uh, and, and actually have more of an ice pickiness to them that could be good. It sounds bad when I say ice picky, but sometimes you want that. You want the highs to really kind of poke out of the amp. Um, but that's what I would That's what I would think that would send you down the road. But I would definitely think about Thornbuckers in that guitar, if you can. And then if you can't get Thornbuckers and you have Seymour Duncans, uh, you can probably look on Seymour Duncans' website and find the equivalent to Thornbuckers. They have the specifications there. It's pretty should be easy to figure out what it is. Uh, Litvay says, I love the new geeky stuff t-shirt. Was a nice touch. Question, how do you nicely fix edge tear out on an unfinished body? The only hope to only oil it. Okay, only hope to oil, only hope. I only hope to only oil it eventually. Um, So you're talking about when you're, you're you're routing a body and you had tear out and you took a chunk out of it? Uh... I mean, depends if you're going to paint it, if you're going to stain it, what are you going to do? I mean, you can use filler and then you can sand it and then you can paint it if you're staining it. I mean, you're, you could still use filler. You're just going to have to stain darker on the side. A lot of times, you know, you know they'll use bursts to kind of hide stuff like that. I think that's the way I'm understanding your question. If I'm, I'm not Lidby, I apologize, but that's what I think is happening. Um, but yeah, if when you're telling me you have an unfinished body and you have tear out, which is like a chunk got taken out, probably from when you were routing it. Um, I would say you could use wood filler on it and then stain it and then paint it and hide it. That would be, that's how I would imagine doing it. Again, I'm not a finished person, so that's finished work kind of stuff. But the people who do finished work, that's what I've kind of seen them do. Tom says, hey, Phil, would you guess, what, would you guess it's tube? Oh, okay. So he wants to know if my guess is it's a tube or a potentiometer problem for a scratchy silent spot on a power soak. Hmm. Um, I have no idea. Scratchy silent spot sounds like a potentiometer to me. <laughs> Tyson says, Hey, uh, 
Love my 78 Music Man 65 first tube amp. Just today learned that channel that the channel one, channel two jump for full range. Sound scoped. Have I tried this? No, you know what? I've very rarely ever played Music Man amps. They're one of those amps like you walk into a music store every once in a while and they have one sitting there and you, you definitely dive on it because you're like, oh, I haven't seen that. You plug in and you try it. I don't think I've played a Music Man amp ever in my life more than five minutes or so just checking it out. Um, so, I mean, I'm not really familiar with them in that way. Um, so that's that's basically it. <laughs> they're, they're definitely an amp I'd love to become more... Uh, more involved with and try more. But like I said, you just see them rarely. And when you do see them, you plug in and try them. And I've always liked them. I just never felt like, oh, I got to buy this right now. I always like, I always feel like they're good. I'm trying not to sneeze, by the way, guys. So don't you love that feeling? The feeling of trying not to sneeze. Thank you, Ruben, for the super chat. Grumpy Mike Guitar said, what happened? He says, it's getting hot in Arizona. Uh, you know, for you guys, it may be hot for us. It's nineties. So we had a hundred a couple times. Make sure the AC is working in the dump truck. Yeah. If you guys didn't follow on Instagram or Facebook, you guys have seen Jeff, uh, a viewer, Jeff sent me this amazing shirt. I'll be showing it on the show. I just had Brian's shirt and I wanted, I got his first. So I thought, okay, first in, uh, you know, first on the show. Um, I'll be showing it probably next week. You'll see. We'll share it. Oh, you know what? That's, that brings up another sub subject I didn't uh, talk about. Um, I was on, hold on a second. Again, I apologize for this. Let me go because I want to share it with you. Two things. Because I didn't get a chance to share this with you. Let me move this over. Go to web. So, um, so you guys know, I'll put a link. Uh, I was on grade 43 podcast, the grade 43 podcast. I don't think it's called the grade. I think it's just grade 43. I was on this podcast. I was invited to go on a uh, lovely podcast, lovely, uh, lovely, uh, uh, gentleman on there. Hold on. Let me go back as I'm jumping around. And, um, I didn't give a shout out because, um, they, they put it out last week and then I got caught up in something we were talking about and I didn't talk about it, but I want to let you guys know that I was, I was on there. I will put a link if you want to see it now and just stop watching this podcast. You can go right to my Know Your Gear Facebook page and click the link and go listen to it. Um, but what was interesting was it was a definitely different subject matter that we normally talk about. That was not the normal stuff. Uh, they had different questions for me that I really didn't have re been asked before. It was a lot of stuff I just wasn't, uh, like I said, it, it definitely, I didn't, I wasn't used to that. So it was great. Actually, I listened to it and <laughs> I could say it was one of the first times I listened to a podcast. I go, oh, it was really enjoyable, even though it was me. <laughs> so I just thought I'd uh, give a shout out and let you guys know that exists. And it's, it was fantastic. So like I said, when I index this uh, show, I'll put a timestamp to it. Um, but also, uh, I'll share that shirt with you next week. And I'll make sure my AC is working. Okay. Um, we have Brad Guitar Miller says, hey, happy Friday. Any news going uh, to Texas Toast? Did you try the beer? I have the Texas Toast beer. That's after the Rush beer. If you guys remember, we did this uh, a couple of drinks, and then I got COVID, and then I just didn't feel like doing it for a few, I don't know, actually probably a month or so. I just didn't feel like doing it. <laughs> I don't want to drink anything on the show. I was really just trying to fight to keep my voice for most of the show. And um, uh, uh, so... Uh, I'll have the Texas Toast beer next. It will be the next beer I do after this Rush beer. And um, 
And then going to Texas Toast, I haven't talked to those guys recently, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'm still up to go there, especially when it's not snowing. Rusty Shackleford says, I'm, hi, Phil. <laughs> he says, I'm looking at uh, for a single cut guitar with a 25 and three quarter scale length that doesn't have a thick neck and isn't a Gibson. Any recommendations? Uh, yeah. Um, I would uh, go with the Sire uh, uh, L7. I love that guitar. That was the guitar I reviewed it, and I bought it to review it, and then we flipped it because that's you know because that's how it works. And when I buy stuff for the videos, it's you know flip it so we can get something else to get out on the channel. Um, but that was one of the few that I was like, oh, I don't know, should I keep this one? And yeah, I have to be very strict about that stuff with myself because obviously if I start keeping too many of them, I don't have the money to flip. You know, when I sell, I don't have the money to flip it back in the channel. Um, and that's kind of the smartest business decision, so to speak, decision. So um, that's the one I would recommend. I like that L7 a lot. Planet. What? Planet Solinka. Solinki? Planet Solinki. He says he wants me to accept his super chat. And in return, just announced that the DOD FX-17 is the best wah pedal. Man, that's an old, like, is that the one I'm thinking of? That's like, here, I'll share it with you guys. Is that the one? I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is my first wah pedal. Because I remember being so distraught when I got it. Yep, it was. This is my first wah pedal. Let me share it. I'm going to share it with you guys right now. This is it. This is the DODFX. Oh, that's a 17. Same one, 17 wall. This was my very first wall. It was a great wall. It sounded probably as good as any other wall. I don't even remember. I just remember being so distraught because it was the only thing I could afford and I really wanted a wall pedal. And it didn't look like a wall pedal. It looked like a gas pedal from a 1957 truck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not a cool wall pedal. And, and uh, but, uh, I remember it was great. I remember liking it. So that's, uh, I just remember like uh, being upset as a kid going, how come it's not cool looking like Hendrix's wall or Vi's wall? I wanted a Morley or a Crybaby. Didn't have that kind of money at all. Uh, not even close. So the DOD FX-17. And uh, it was that perfect timing where gear like that was just not, you know, no one wanted anything that wasn't looked, that didn't look vintage because the grunge thing was huge. So, you know, I walked in the store and you could pick that up for, a song and I was like, all right. <laughs> and I, but I used it for years. Loved it. Um, okay. This is from local dry cleaner. That's interesting. It says, thanks for all you do, Phil. You ever think about how strange our acoustic audio adjectives are? Okay. I know where you're going for this. Uh, describing tones as dark, bright, thick, um, shouldn't make sense, but it somehow works. I agree. Um, really what it is, technically we should be talking, of course, in, you know, like this is trebly, <laughs> this is bassy, this has more, you know, mid-range, uh, broader mid-range. This has, um, think of this, when we say ice picky, it doesn't even make any sense because what is ice pick? You know, you think about an ice pick chipping on things and you think, okay, that's the sound, um, but it is funny how we do that. Uh, and I think it's because, and I've always said this, um, I think it's because our ears and our tongue, in my opinion, 
our ears and our tongue work the same way. <laughs> I know I'm going to get shit for this. Okay, so uh, excuse my language, but I just know it. This is like how I like to say this. My, your ears and your tongue work the same way. In the idea that the things that you think taste good or taste bad and the things you think, the things you think sound good or sound bad really have to do with just how you grew up and what you ate and what you listened to. For instance, uh, I like this uh, story, uh, this, using this story. If, uh, if you and I, the audience apparently, the whole audience and I, went to an Italian dinner tonight and had uh, a meal. We had spaghetti and meatballs. And you guys said, oh, I don't like this. It's too sweet. And I went, oh, I don't like it. It's too, you know, it's too salty. Um, that probably has little to do with the quality of the food and has to do with how we were brought up eating that type of food, uh, which is why people have different tastes around the world. You're brought up eating different things and that history of that. I, I, I like to call that mom's cooking. You grow up on your mom's cooking or maybe your dad's cooking, but I call it mom's cooking. You grow up on your mom's cooking. And therefore, the first time you start going away from home and eating places, everything is benchmarked off mom's cooking. Like whether, and that's even if your mom cooked bad. <laughs> it doesn't matter if she cooked well or, or bad. Same thing with, yeah, somebody's saying spicy, same thing. So essentially, your taste bugs are a memory, right? You're, you're tasting something and then you're like comparing it to some, your, the history of all the things you've tasted before that. And that tells you if it's good or if it's bad. So that's a, perfect example of that. I don't think your ears are much different. I think your ears go off that history concept. In other words, you hear a guitar tone, you hear a band, and it sounds like this thing you know, or it, just like your tongue, maybe it found you at the right age when it was the thing that was the first experience of that, and it was just the most powerful experience you've ever had. And then therefore, that's where it's rated off of forever. Um, and so the reason I say this to you to your statement, uh, <laughs> the dry cleaner, local dry cleaner, is that um, I think that's why we're allowed as a community, because obviously we all do it. It's rampant throughout, obviously everywhere. It doesn't have to do with the internet. It's everywhere that we use, like, this is dark. Oh, look at this chocolatey tone. Look at this creamy tone. Look at this, you know, we don't use salty too much, though. Isn't that funny? You don't go, oh, man, that amp's so salty. Um, <laughs> but what's funny is, is that we use those terms because I think the, we, the way we use taste bugs and our hearing is essentially the same, same way. Just my two cents. <laughs> sure some of you will go what the hell was that about but that's essentially it it's uh that's how i that's how i think it works and that's why i think we're allowed to do it <laughs> uh johnny says your first marshal is the best yeah and <laughs> milky tone yeah you can go crazy with all the terms everybody uses so okay um, Fernando says, Hey, Phil, what do you think about Duesenberg guitars? I've tried a few. The ones I tried were really nice. Uh, I've never officially reviewed one on the channel. That'd be one I'd like to review and, and get and do a deep dive on it. I really like to get into the guitars like that. What I find when I do those type of videos, 
when I do review videos, I get to play stuff, but all, all, all the deep dive, like I said, is, is, is the same video I was doing before, but formatted in a way where the information's coming in the same order and the same way. So you're, you know, where it's, you know, comparable to the other guitars I've done, but also for me, it's a little bit more of what I was doing off camera on camera. I was testing things and then giving you my, my feelings on it. Now I'm kind of showing you why, you know, how I'm testing things. So that's, that's all. But for me, that's why I like reviewing a guitar. Cause I find sometimes, you know, I can tell you right now, reviewing guitar is the ultimate way to get to know it. For me, I could play a guitar for a year and not know it as well as if I dive into it, really check it out and try all the different ways. Cause you're, you're, only, you're not just testing it. You're looking for things that are good and bad about it. And it's, it's really insightful. Still rude <laughs> says, thanks for the, uh, com- wait, thanks for completing my transformation to middle-aged dad by getting me to spend Friday nights here. That's cool. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a dad, middle-aged dad, an old-aged dad, a young-aged dad. Looking to get my amp. Oh, looking to get an amp for pedals. I play indie shoegaze. Is an effects loop needed? Uh, any amp recommendations? Uh, you don't need an effects loop. It is nice to have if you are want to run, you know, your uh, delay and reverb and other type effects in the effects loop. If you're going to use the amps overdrive, I'm about to review an amp that I really, really like. Uh, and when I say about to, it's about to release it. It'll be this weekend, and uh, I, I think it's a really cool idea. It's the cheapest pedal platform amp on the market, is what they're kind of going after. Really cool idea. I was really shocked, I actually. <laughs> really shocked about it. Um, so that might be something to consider, but essentially when you're thinking about pedal amps all, or an amp for your pedals, essentially all you're looking for is like, I, I like I use a Princeton Fender Princeton with a 110, or you can use a 112 Fender, or you can use a little Marshall DSL. Uh, there's so many platforms. It's just pick a price and then find the amp that fits that price. It's probably the best way to do it for most people. Um, you know, cause it's, I mean, all you need is a good clean platform to run the pedals through. Doug says, hey, Phil, you heard anything more about the SEDGT from PRS? Thanks. Uh, I have not. But like I said, last I'd, I'd heard, um, obviously, they were working out of the production in Indonesia for the SE model. And I would imagine, uh, based on how long it took from the time they did production on the John Mayer Silver Sky SE to the point where it landed, like I said, I, I picture it to be late in the year. I would really be shocked. It's possible that they release it next month in June. There's a lot of products coming out in June. A lot considering, you know, today's day and age. Um, I I am would be really shocked if it came out in June. Uh, I'm, I would think that it would probably come out in September or next year. If it doesn't come out by September, September, it's definitely going to be next year's launch. I don't think they'll do it right at Christmas, but you never know. But I got definitely the impression it was a fourth quarter or a next year product. And it was, that was loosely. I can tell you like, was it music band's got the new eight string coming out. Ibanez has got some new guitars, but more, they got another signature guitar version of a signature guitar coming out. That's going to be cool. Um, there's a new mini head. See the Friedman mini head right there. Ooh. Some of you guys know, cause you guys seen the leak. Uh, I can't unfortunately leak it to you cause that's part of the stipulation of send it to me ahead of time. Uh, the new one is right there <laughs> and, uh, you can't see it. I can't show it to you. Uh, so, but I can tell you, uh, cause this is kind of funny. 
uh, and you put it in the comments and fine, but I'm not going to uh, verify it. I can tell you two things. This new, the new mini head comes out June 2nd. So get your wallets ready. And it is one of the amps. Let me get out of the way. It is one of the amps that is behind me. It is, it's one of those, any of those, any of those amps, pick one of these amps behind me. And that's a small version of that. I think that's vague enough considering it's coming out in a week or so. Um, <laughs> okay. John Doe says, uh, recently purchased a 94, 95 Fender made in Japan photo flame telly. Love it. By the way, I got weird jumpiness when trying to tune it. Uh, the high E and B strings only any ideas sometimes. Uh, yeah, the jumpiness is caused by one of three things. You're going to have to decipher which one of the three things I can just tell you what's cause what, what the three things are. It could be your tuner. If you're using a really crappy tuner that is not very accurate, what happens is it, it's sensing something and then it jumps because it's just not very good. That happens. That's not likely because most likely it's, it's pretty hard to buy a crappy tuner in today's day and age. I mean, even $10 ones from Amazon are going to be more than adequate to do what, what you need to do. Um, it could be the nut, something sticking in the nut and then it's jumping. That is very common. Uh, usually you can tell if it's the nut, you'll hear what I call the ting. It's almost like somebody plucked the, the string very lightly ting, and it just goes really high. Um, that's possible. And of course it could be the tuning keys, tuning keys slipping. And I've said this before, what I would do is obviously make sure your tuner is correct. So you, that's easy to tell. If you have another guitar, that's going to be super easy. Tune another guitar with your tuner. It's not doing that. You know, it's not the tuner. The nut I would uh, do uh, first listen for those sounds, but even if you don't hear those, you can get some lubricant. You can use a pencil lead. Um, just put something that will uh, make the the uh, slots in the in the nut slick, and that will help a lot by far. And then uh, if you do that and it's still doing that, the other thing you can do is pick one, your ear or the B string. Just pick one and take that tuner out and put it in a different spot and put a different tuner there and tuning key. And uh, if it problem follows the tuning key, then you know it's the tuning key. Those are the three things in the order I would do them because it's going to be simplest to hardest and that should solve your problem. Uh, Greg says, hey, Phil, skunk stripe protruding on my Fender P base is an easy fix. Do it yourself repair. Yes. I personally think uh, if you if you have, whether you have a, uh, a polyurethane or if you have lacquer or if you have no finish, whatever your finish is uh, on your neck or no finish, um, I would just use... Um, you can use, if, if you don't want to use steel wool, like triple odd or uh, steel wool or something like that, you can use 3M pads uh, that are pretty, pretty, uh, you can Google it. Uh, I don't, I have them downstairs in the shop. I always tell myself I'm going to have one in case this question comes up upstairs. They make white 3M pads that are basically, they look like scotch bike pads, but they're the same consistency as steel wool. So if you don't want steel wool around your stuff, you can use those as well. You can also use 3M sheets, which are just like microfiber cloths, basically. <coughs> Not microfiber, sorry, uh, micro, sand, micro sanding things like uh, sheets. And um, that's all it needs. It's just a little bit of that. The other thing you can do is actually put it in a case and put a humidifier in it and see if that fixes it. But my experience, it's not going to fix it because what's really happened is it's lifted a little bit out of the maple and it's sticking out and you have a little bit of that a bump, but what's, what's great about it is that bump is so small, even though you can feel it because it's very sensitive. Cause that's where your, your fingers are touching. When you sand on it a little bit, it'll just gloss everything over and, um, it'll look great. And then, uh, if I was doing it, let me tell you how I would fix it. I would probably just use the 3M sheet or 
some steel wool. I would sand your neck up real nice, real fast, take 20 seconds, uh, and wait for the edges to kind of smooth out. I don't feel them anymore. And then I use a swirl remover. You can you get that from Meguiar's or I use it from Stumac. Squirt some of that into uh, a rag, cloth, microfiber, uh, uh, cloth meaning uh, uh, cotton or flannel or microfiber. Squirt, squirt some of that stuff in there and just rub it on there just to kind of buff out any of the little maybe micro little. They're not going to be scratches, but there's going to be a little bit of a haziness from where you sanded it. That fixes it. It's an easy fix. It's exactly what I would do. And what I could tell you is this. That's what I would do to your guitar if you brought it to me and you wouldn't be able to tell that's what I did to it. You'd get it back and you're like, oh, you fixed it. And I'm like, yep, that's what I would do. So, so that's what I suggest you do. All that stuff on Amazon collectively shouldn't cost you more than 10, 15 bucks. Uh, Luciano says, hey, thinking about changing nut in a Strat because of tuning problems, is it true that GraphTech Tusk Q-Nuts sound different from bone or plastic? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but how much different? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a small percentage. Let me put it this way. If, uh, would I, here's a, here's something I would say. If I came over your house when you were sleeping, took a bone nut off of one of your guitars and put a tusk nut on, would I think in the morning you'd strum it and go, what the hell just happened? No, I don't think you could have noticed it. If you AB them, could you notice it? Maybe, maybe the bone would sound a little brighter, pings a little harder, and the graphite would ping a little harder off than the bone, mostly in the open positions and pretty much non-existent at all in the any of the fretted positions, which is all of them but six. <laughs> so no, it's not a huge deal. What it is to me, it's not really, it, it's not really a difference between, there's brass, there's bone, there's graph tech, graphite, there's tusk, which is uh, tusk and uh, new bone, which are kind of Corian kind of materials. Um, there's malamine, which is a plastics that are harder plastics. Um, there's all that stuff. I think I prefer, like I said, I prefer certain ones that are harder because again, the harder it is, the less likely you're going to have to fix it later. That's one of the benefits. And the second thing is uh, certain things, I, certain materials I like working with because it's easier and faster and nicer and more consistent than others. But essentially... The tone chasing of that, the only thing I say is the the soft plastic stuff, I don't think it sounds very good, but even then it's not even a tone thing. It's more of a just a, it's more of a tuning issue and it's more of a longevity issue. The quality components last longer. That's basically the biggest thing. Crimson Crimson says, "Hey Phil, any suggestions for a good funk pickup?" <laughs> for a Sterling Stingray. I don't know. I have no idea. That's, uh, I feel like I'm just scratching my head on this. Um, I don't know. Uh, funk pickup. No. <laughs> Maybe the Bartolini soap bar that fits in there would be pretty, pretty nice. Cause it's got some more mids and that would help snap a little harder. Maybe that I would probably go with that. Richard says, you talk a lot about pickups and demo them separately as a neck and bridge. I Wait, okay. Am I mistaken or do you put less focus on the middle position of the HH design? Well, the middle position is the least used by guitar players, without a doubt. We know that just because, I mean, I've seen a thousand billion guitar players play guitar and that's not what the position they go to. 
Most of us aren't going to the middle position. Middle position we use for certain things, but it's not the dominant position, usually the bridge and the neck. So yeah, when I demo a pickup, I'm gonna go bridge, neck, and then middle, and the middle is gonna get some time. But usually that's not even, actually that's not even accurate at all. I mean, it's accurate, but it's not the most accurate statement for when I demo a pickup or a guitar. When I demo a guitar, I try to focus on the thing that's the most unique about the guitar the most. So sometimes you might notice, like I play the bridge pickup for, you know, a, a while. And sometimes you may notice I play the neck pickup for a while and they're not equal. And it's because sometimes I, if I'm playing a, a jazz guitar, I might go, okay, well, they're going to probably play the neck pickup more. And if I'm playing a rock guitar, I go, well, they're going to play the bridge pickup more. So I tend to try to lean, it, lean into the things I think you guys want to see the most. Because again, I'm trying to give you the most information without spending an hour on the instrument on a video. So you just have to do it. What I can tell you is, in almost all the cases, the way I play the guitars, it's almost all equal time in playing. It's just what gets edited down. It's also what I think conveys the message. Sometimes if you notice, like I did it on the on the PRS video, the coil splits, I came back by, through them like twice almost. That's not normal in the videos, but I was having trouble conveying all of the sonic properties they were delivering. So I, I kind of wanted to hit it a little, a little harder. Thunder Falcon. <laughs> Thunder Falcon says, what was the name of the video where you put the metal zone against all those high-end pedals? I don't remember. Was that me? It could have been me. I have 800-something videos now. Um, I did a video where I took a metal zone. Oh, you know what you're probably thinking of? I did the metal zone against, um, remember I did a metal zone against a $1,300 pedal? That was the video I did. That's my Cab M video. I just got the new Cab M Plus sent to me right here. This is the same. If you guys remember that Cab M got my, like my product of the year, uh, the Cab M Plus is something new. It's got a preamp in it. And I'm working on a video right now with this thing that uh, I'm very excited about because um, I wanted to, wanted to check that out. And uh, But th that's the video you're looking for. It's the Cab M because it has those two pedals comparing them. The Convert says, hey, Phil, ever want to get a Rickenbacker on the show? Ever want a Rick bass for yourself? Question mark. Must be harder to come by. Have a great weekend. Um, I don't want a Rick bass because here's why. As much as I love the way they sound, they don't fit my st my playing style, the way I play bass. Uh, it's not the instrument I, I like. I'm really, really, really happy with jazz style basses. Um, I mean, I have my Warwick, and that's definitely a different kind of feeling bass, but essentially it's jazz style basses are what I like. And uh, I just don't have a lot of uh, need, me personally, for a, a, a Rickenbacker. Did I say Warwick? I meant Rickenbacker. Uh, but that's why if I was going to do a Rickenbacker, I would do a guitar on the channel. Cause like I said, that's something I, I think is cool. Um, but the, definitely the Rickenbacker bass is cool as it is. And I love it as a bass. It's just not a bass I would, I would own. Cause I don't play anything that would, would, uh, my style. This, the problem I have is where I keep my hands on the bass. The physically, there's all this stuff on the Rickenbacker that's in my way. It's just physically hitting me. You know, it's my wrist. It's, it's just not, it's not, the, not the style of bass I, I would use. I just love them though, but it's just not my style. It's one of those, there's a few instruments like that that are just, I love them. I wish I was, you know, I wish I played a style that would kind of align with them better, but I don't. CJ wants us to know, hey bud, I have a get Godan, Godan, Session HT that I adore. What are your thoughts on their guitars? You know, I always I always praise the Godan stuff. We always talk about getting some more of it on the channel. I've only had one Godan on the channel. 
when I bought one. Obviously, as you can imagine, the issue is, again, there's only really three ways for a, a guitar to get on this channel. I either buy one for myself, which does happen. Um, a company sends one out, which is uh, very helpful because <laughs> I don't have to buy one. And you guys request it. Um, companies, in my experience, I mean, they might work with some channels, but Godan does not work with any channels that I know of. And so, you know, Godan is a company, like when I did a video about some of my favorite guitars, I did a video about that and I mentioned Godan and I did a, another video that where I highlighted Godan and both of those videos ended up getting a lot of views, over 100,000 views. And Godan actually reached out to me through Facebook and we're like, hey, we love the videos, love your channel. I'm like, cool. Uh, you ever want to send anything out? That's what I said. I, you know, that's why I said to them. Hey, ever want to send anything out? And and they they don't do that, or they weren't interested. Um, so so stuff like that. Like I said, you guys just gotta mention it on the shows, put it in the comments of the videos. Obviously, patrons mention it, and patrons get priority because obviously they're supporting the channel a lot um, financially. So that stuff is, but it doesn't necessarily mean just because they're supporting the channel, they're the only voice I listen to. I listen to everybody. Um, because keep in mind, sometimes I can tell from when you guys are, are kind of talking about something, if, if I can buy it and then do a video and the video can make enough to where it makes sense to buy that, you know what I mean? I'll do it. Um, so there's all kinds of ways I'll get a guitar on the channel. Um, um Godan is definitely a, a guitar that I like to get on the channel. The, the thing I had was actually a better question or not a better question. Another question somebody asked once that I didn't get a chance to answer. It was happened months ago was somebody said, you always talk, uh, you know, I always talk up Godans, but I don't really own any. I talk up Godans because I believe they're as high of quality as some of the highest end guitars on the market. And more importantly, I think they're as, as good as some of my more expensive, I don't want to say boutique, but more expensive high end instruments that I own. That being said, that's why I mentioned them to you because it's a lot easier to say, hey, look, there's this really great guitar for 900 bucks or $800 than there's this really great guitar for $3,000. However, when you own the $3,000 guitar, there's no real desire for me to go, okay, I'm going to sell my $3,000 one and get a Godan. I mean, there, there's, no, there's nothing, like I'm not missing anything. So a lot of times when I mention brands, um, the Sire guitar, uh, the, the uh, Sire hollow body was like that. I really like it. I have a Gibson ES-35. I liked it as much as my ES-335. If I didn't have the resources to buy that 335 or do the trading and stuff that I did to get it, I would definitely have bought the, the Sire. And that's why I really mentioned that stuff to you guys. Cause again, it's just like anything I've been, you know, I've been collecting stuff for a long time and it builds up over time. But that's why I like to highlight that stuff on the show because you can't just highlight everything that's like, Hey, by the way, if you've been playing guitar for 25 years and then you could trade up. You can eventually get one of these expensive ones. Uh, <laughs> didn't Godan get in a fight with Godzilla? Probably. Landon says you have to be able to say Godan uh, properly. You know, I don't think they care. I, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, it's, uh, if there was, I did a video, I did a video once and, and I was going to do a whole series. I thought this was so ingenious. I was so proud of myself. I said, let's, everybody's always correcting everybody what they say. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> I said, I, I did a video where I went around the NAMM show and I asked companies, how do they pronounce their names? And what I learned from that video is there's no real definitive answer. You'll never get an answer for, for everyone who says go Dan, somebody's going to say Godin. And for everyone who says Godin, somebody's going to say Godin. And there's just no way around this. And people fight about it. And then it just makes me chuckle. 
the Paizo Piazzo Piazzo thing always makes me laugh. Here's why. <laughs> I find that when it comes to uh, Piazzo, I say Piazzo. That's the way I say it. 90% of the time that it comes out of my mouth when I'm on a video, I say Paizo because Dean Zielinski was in a video and I watched once one day and he said Paizo and I saw other guitar manufacturers say Paizo. So I go, oh, it's Paizo because really pe people speak in their accents, just whatever they are from wherever they are in the world. Their mouth shape <laughs> sometimes changes the way they say words. Um, and so I always kind of chuckle. There's just no way around that. But really what my favorite thing ever was, um, uh, my two favorite things that I always kind of laugh if you guys want a good ch chuckle. Um, I say Warwick and, um, and, and, and some people, I don't even know if, what the right way to say is. It is Warwick or Warwick or whatever you say. Here's what I know. Hans Peter made me steaks at his house where I sat there in his very beautiful home in Germany and he made me these amazing steaks and we drank beautiful German beer and he doesn't care how I say Warwick. <laughs> and Larry DiMarzio, I talk to him a few hours each week and he doesn't care how I say DiMarzio. <laughs> and I always tell people, and so you know, for me, uh, oh God, I couldn't tell you. I'll say 60% of the people I know can't say my name right. And so I always laugh. So, um, and I know you're thinking, McKnight, that's not what I'm talking about. Philip is my name, but everybody calls me Philip, like UP instead of IP. And I always thought, what a pretentious douche to be like, it's Philip. Two L's. There's two L's in one. It's Philip. I'm Philip. <laughs> so what's my point? My point is no one really cares how anybody says anything, except for some people. So if you're the ones that care about stuff like that, I, you know what? I enjoy your commentary, so keep it up. That's the one thing I can tell you. You are entertaining in the idea that I think you have a point. I just think a lot of people don't care. Michael says, hey, Phil, I got the Taurus Servo and it's great on its own. However, I'm curious, how would you use it in a typical signal chain? At the front. <laughs> when I try the Servo at either the end or the beginning of the pedal chain, it seems to get a bit lost. Well, yeah, it's going to do that. That's what it's it's do. It's there for when you're clean. It's going to make your clean sound huge. Uh, and then if you want it to boost, you can use that boost switch. It's two different things. I think that's the way I kind of figured out that pedal for me personally. I have two of them, by the way, and they're on both pedal boards, and I almost can't play anymore without one. Uh, it's it's almost like a crutch. And to me, it's I it's to me it's using it without the boost off switch. It's just this fattening thing where it just makes your your tone sound fatter, thicker, and cleaner and have more top and sparkle. Kind of like a BB Sonic Maximizer and kind of like a compressor. It's like doing those two things. And then if you boost, then you can, you'll see it react to overdrive pedals. and other, Otherwise, yeah, it'll just get lost because that's what you love about it. Because think about this. What I love about it is I'm playing with Strat. I'm using that to make the Strat sound huge. I hit the overdrive and it kind of goes away. I don't want to step off of it and step on the overdrive. I love the idea. I step on the overdrive and it fades off in the, into nowhere land because that's less things I have to kind of... So I think it's working the way it should. Um, if you want it to be in the single chain as a boost, you got to use that switch and you pretty much got to pull it to the, to the most boost because now it's going to send more signal through. That's the way I'm using it. So, you know. I am not making it very far through this beer. Okay. It's very good, though. 
Barney wants to know, Boss Katana base or Ampeg Rocket 210? Ampeg Rocket 210, but I have never tried the Boss Katana base. I, it might be good. I, I just know I like the Ampeg Rocket stuff. I think they're really, really good. The Ampeg Rocket stuff, I just had uh, my friend uh, get, get into base, and he sent me a text. And he's like, what base amp should I get? And I said, oh, the Ampeg Rocket stuff that they just came out with, which is super awesome. The 210's great. The 110's great. The 18's great. The 112's great. All super cheap. I like the Fender Rumble stuff as well, too. I think I like the Fender Rocket stuff a little bit more. I don't know. It's not that it sounds better. I just like some of the features, and I definitely like the way it looks. And it's about the same weight and about equal in quality. So very cool. But I have not tried the Boss Katana. But I don't have a need for anything when it comes to bass. I don't need anything besides just bass tone. I don't need effects and stuff. But I haven't tried the Boss Katana stuff at all. Uh, Andrea says, Hey, Phil, just wanted to say you are a huge inspiration and have helped me through hard times. I thank you for that. That's, that stuff is always a little powerful when you guys talk like that. I always, uh, am humbled by that because it's, uh, one of those like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad hanging out is a uh, good, uh, good entertainment. I hope you guys enjoy it. I enjoy it as well. And then... Hold on. I wanted to say the last super chat is Aleph. Sure. It's Aleph. I'm going to do it backwards. Aleph, uh, or Josh Smith, uh, did a super, uh, super sticker. I like to look at these by the way, keep it up. Oh, and it's a bird saying, keep it up. You know, you think they make these things bigger. I have a huge screen in front of me. It's massive. This like thing is like tiny. Um, Aleph says guitar brands that have action less than one millimeter at the 12th fret. It's not a brand. It's what it is, is this, when it comes to action, which is why I like to cover it in each guitar that I review is they have to have to get low action. You have to have great fret work. So the brands that do the best fret work, fret work can potentially have the lowest action. In my experience, um, it's not even brands. It's different models in those brands have the best fret work. So, um, now the good news is if you want one millimeter action, if you want super low action, um, it can be done on a squire on a hundred dollar squire, as long as the fret work is done right. Not every squire, but it can be done. Uh, like I said, I did a video where I had Sweetwater plaque a squire and that thing was fantastic. And like I said, it worked forever. Um, I don't know who has it now. I sold it to Zim's and I don't think he would want to sell it for a while. I think he had it in the store forever because <laughs> he wanted to show it to people. Cause I, I showed it to him and he's like, this is crazy. I kept it for like eight, nine months. It was really cool. If I needed another strat, I would definitely kept it. I just kind of decided at one point I was like, okay, either I flip this and get it something else on the channel, or I'm going to shove new pickups and new bridge and new, all this stuff in it, you know? And then I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then I go, well, I have other stuff to do. <laughs> so Okay. Hold on. I'm not old. I'm vintage. Says my action on my 12 string is almost four millimeters. I'm taking it to tech. Yeah. 12 strings, man, they're a nightmare. And here's some bad news. 12 strings. This is why it's important that they're they're made well. Some really bad 12 strings can't even be tuned to standard. You have to go at least a half step or a full step down. 
It's very typical with all that tension. The necks can't, the necks can't take it. So, Larry Funtime Carl says one millimeter is about as low as I would ever go. It's low, lower than I would play as well too. But I have, uh, uh, I have people that want it at 0.75, and they. You know, if you're light-handed and you shred, that stuff, you know, is exactly what you want. You want it just to be effortless. Me, I just don't, I don't, like, I, I think I've told you guys this before. For me, I, I've even changed over the years because doing YouTube videos, I've found that a little bit higher action makes the guitar sound a little better. So I generally want to do that for the videos. <laughs> yeah. Amanda, she want, She said the chat must be super hard for Phil to follow so many different topic, topics. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's chaos. <laughs> it's awesome. Ryan says, I love how Rip Phil gets a, a quarter of a beer. It's like drinking with my 15 year old. You know, what's funny is that's not it. I actually, if you guys haven't noticed, uh, and you probably do notice, uh, maybe you should maybe haven't noticed I um as we do the shows as I get towards the end of the second hour is when I start slowing down it's like I've been talking for almost two hours I've been thinking about all these things you guys want to talk about I'm managing all this stuff it's a little bit a little bit to do it's one of the benefits of the of the shows that have multiple you know um hosts they can bounce off each other and let one talk for a second while the other one's doing stuff it's like when you're doing it all by yourself and you're maintaining the stuff it it's not hard by any means but it it does have a I notice a at the end of every show when I'm indexing and I can see that I'm slowing down a little bit and yeah, beer is not helping. <laughs> Obviously though, you can see I'm not drinking very much and it's nothing for no other reason than, you know, I'm just talking and looking at stuff. Okay. Let's, uh, let's finish up on one good last good topic question. And we'll call it a day. Uh, so if you have a new question put it to me while i look real quick and again put your question marks at the beginning so i know it's to me um hmm i don't know maybe we may not have anything i might have to end on this oh we'll end on this note it's a good question kill every venue says, do you think getting a Sire Les Paul is worth it over a Harley Benton Les Paul? You know, when it comes to the quality of the guitars like Ert, uh, their their quality, um, I have three of the Ert guitars. Uh, there's two more coming. There's a Headless and a Les Paul uh, guitar coming. My next Ert video, I think, is going to be the Les Paul. Um, I was going to, no, not Les Paul. It's going to be Headless. I was going to do the Les Paul, and I think Ert asked me to do the Les Paul, but problem is, is 60 Cycle Hum just did that same guitar, and so did uh, Daryl Braun. I saw their thumbnails, and I was like, well, I don't know how many videos of the same guitar everybody needs. Um, but um, when it comes to those quality of those guitars, was very good. When it comes to Harley Benton's, the quality's been very good. Uh, I think the Sire stuff is, and in my opinion, the Sire and the Ert is just a little bit better quality um, consistently. And, but I mean, I've heard people say, you know, they got a bad Sire, just like I heard people say they got a bad Harley Benton. In my mind, I, I think of the other thing that I think of the Sire as being slightly better than Harley Benton a little bit, but I also think about the brand value proposition. Sire is, is one of those brands that has done something very well 
more so than the other companies. When you think about Firefly or Harley Benton or Ivy or, you know, Sawtooth, um, those brands, and Harley Benton's definitely the, I think, the premium of all those brands. Those brands are definitely the economy brands. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's the economy brand line. Then there's certain brands like Sire that have created the same product and they, sure, they added a few more features in some cases, but more importantly, they've added a brand a brand value that, hold on. Now I'm losing my voice. Uh, they add a brand value that helps um, sustain the sustain it for many years. Uh, you can tell what they're doing. That being said, I you can never say one's better than the other when it comes to what you're doing. If you if you want to buy a Harley Benton and it's less money, I can tell you you're not going to be missing out. Just like if you buy an Epiphone or if you buy an actual Gibson, they're <clears throat> they're all different price points, and it's just about what you what appeals to you. I've said this many times. I focus more on the guitar's features and how it looks and how it sounds. Those things matter to me. And, and if they're hitting and the price I want to pay. So that makes, that makes it easier. Sire's name is marketing genius. Yeah, I could be. <laughs> um, but like I said, uh, the quality of them seemed really good. And Indonesian guitar. Uh, yeah. All the sires are made in Indonesia and uh, it seems like all the electronics are coming from Korea. And my guess is because the owner is in Korea and I'm sure he might own the facility in Korea too. That's doing all that stuff. I'm not sure. So, um, so all right. On that note, we're going to call it. I, go, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, if you guys haven't seen the video of the PRS uh, 2408, check out that video because it's not about the reviews anymore on those videos. I hope you guys enjoy. It's all about, like every video is more, I'm trying to make them teach teachable videos where you learn more about the guitars, the history of the guitars. I mean, there's a lot in there. That video was another one. 22 hours. <laughs> When you watch that video, if you want a good laugh at, at, what a, at what a joke it could be to be a YouTuber, I want you to think if you guys watch, if you haven't seen the, the Custom 2408 video and you're thinking about interested in watching it, when you watch it, when you watch the video that's under 20 minutes or 20 minutes, I want you to think that that was, I want you to think about the fact that that was 22 hours of filming and editing to make that. <laughs> uh, even I scratch my head on that note. I'm gonna let you guys go. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. I will see you next Friday at the same time, three o'clock Pacific standard time until next week. Know your gear. <laughs>